0: Hashtag friend fans. This is Francis McGarry, podcast host of First Online with Friends. There's no place like art, featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, safer, kinder place to be. And as we try to grasp the horrific images of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, our hearts melt when we hear a child sing let it go from the bowels of a bomb shelter or a soul violinist perform amidst the shattered buildings of a town square it is that transformational moment when we are reminded of the compassionate outreach of our humanity and witness the staunch souls of a nation determined to rise against tyranny. This is our world. This is our opportunity to tap into that grace, that core of conviction that connects us all as a people. Here in our divided nation, we can stop the injustices. We can stop the violence. We can call in instead of calling out those with whom we disagree. Well, My guest today, Erica Ewing, has made it her mission to do just that. In 2018, Erica combined her creativity, engagement and activism skills and launched Got to Stop, LLC. This is a social impact consulting company and lifestyle fashion brand that raises awareness about social injustice and empowers communities to take action. Got to Stop LLC designs clothing to invite courageous conversations around racism, poverty, health disparities, human trafficking, gun violence, voter suppression, domestic violence, and criminal justice reform. It's quite a list welcome Erica.
1: Thank you for having me, friend. You it's betcha. Amazing. <laughs> um, you are
0: you are amazing, girl. And you know what? I can't I you know we go way back. Yeah. And it's just so amazing how as women we reinvent ourselves. And here we are, women's history month and I get to have you on my show. Uh to start our conversation. I know that you believe in the power of the arts, that it can heal, it can unite, it could be a catalyst for social justice, change and transformation. Let's start with how did this project evolve? And I'd love to hear some delicious inside stories that you could share so that we can understand, I can understand the the depth and breadth of your mission.
1: So when I talk about, the power of the arts to heal and transform and be a catalyst for change, we're really talking about the fact that we're human. We're humanizing the experience of others. So we lead with empathy. And we lead in such a way that we put ourselves in someone else's shoes. So it's more than meeting someone where they are, it's being where they are. It's getting inside of where they are. Because at that moment, that is when you say, wow, me being in this place, standing here from this perspective, I can see new possibilities. And with my experience, with my resources, now what can I do to change things, to impact your life, to make it a little bit better? Because again, if I impact you positively, it impacts the world. So we do this one person, one individual at a time.
0: Absolutely. I know you have some uh, wonderful stories uh, to share with us. Can you share one of your success stories?
1: The biggest success story I would say is wearing my fashion brand in Harlem. And a gentleman saw me in the post office. So, you know, I'm doing my packaging. I'm mailing off packages, right? And he looks at my shirt and he says, I know that. And he pointed at the word sex trafficking. What a moment, because we're in the post office and now he reveals to me a few things, that he was a sex trafficker. Oh, my God. He's been in prison for 25 years. He's now out of prison trying to rehabilitate, come back to life. But he said he knew where it started and it started with his own exploitation and molestation when he was a child the babysitter, the person that your mother trusted for you to be with when she was at work or she was incapacitated in some way. And he said, that's where it started because I wanted my power back. And so really he was operating from that little boy whose power was taken. And again, he silenced himself for years, but it played out in so many different areas of his life where he has to catch himself with not being angry, get letting go of the anger. Of course, therapy. This is a situation where therapy did help this this individual to talk about it. But for to tell him that, tell me that, at a post office online, with a crowd of people, he had. There was no shame. It was courageous. What we did with that young um, man was later. I found my friend who's a social worker because I always work with people, and said, "How do we get him resources?" He met with us the next day. And what we were looking for were credible messengers that he could be a part of organizations or find mentors, because now he's taken the next step forward in his life, coming out of the prison system, which was very harsh. Right. And how do I go back to work? So he was working really as a as a doorman at a place downtown. He lived uptown. But it was just the moment that he said, I had everything. I used women for everything. I womanized. I had businesses. I had cars. I was flying here and there, just constantly trying to get my power back. And then said to me, it was wrong. It was wrong. But had he had the space and the courage as a child, and that's hard, to advocate for himself and say this is happening, that would have been a difference in his life started the conversation of, one, do you believe me? And to believe children when they say something, when they're uncomfortable with somebody. It's not go hug Auntie Fran. If they don't know Auntie Fran, she's not Auntie, first of all. Let's get clear. There's Miss McGrary, Dr. Fran McGrary. You're going to meet her. And as you build a real, authentic relationship with her, that might be something that you might say, you know, I feel so close to Dr. Fran. I want to call Auntie. She's like Auntie to me. That's different. We're building an authentic relationship and we're taking it at the pace of the child and where they feel close. And we love the village concept, right? It takes a village, but we've got to be very mindful of this village. We cannot assume the village for the child, create the opportunities and expose them so that they can choose and pick their village. That's really, really important. The voice of children, it's very important. The voice of victims in any type of injustice really important you cannot you can do good but you can do harm because you are saying what their needs are and you're not allowing them to tell you what their needs are
0: yes and that's allowing them you know like you said to allow them for us to walk in their shoes and not to judge but to reach out and to say you know let me understand who you are and where you come from who are some of the people? you surround yourself with. You said you work with social workers. How did you get your, your group together? This Got to
1: Stop LLC. To be quite honest, it really branched off from the fashion line. People saw my fashion and I said, I'm not going to put a line out that I'm not behind and I can't see it from beginning to end. So when you say we're talking about human trafficking, what have we accomplished? One, UFT, we got a resolution in 2019. with got to stop that all teachers would be trained in human trafficking prevention. That's UFT, United Federation of Teachers in New York. First step. Second step, I was invited to be part of a consulting team to write a curriculum. That curriculum was with UNITAS, NGO, and basically United um, for for Human Trafficking Together, UNITAS, U-N-I-T-A-S. They invited me to be part of their curriculum writing team. Using my engagement strategies, with, along with other colleagues, professionals, um, psychologists, survivors, social workers, caseworkers, we wrote a curriculum called Lights for middle school and high school students. It is now currently in New York City and DC public schools. Been piloted in different states, and we won the Anthem Award, twenty twenty two, for best strategy, transformational oh. curriculum. I want to talk about the curriculum, but I want
0: to also, I never knew that you were a fashion designer. This is something new that I didn't know about you. So I want to kind of like figure out what came
1: first, you know, the horse, the car. I can be really, really explicit. I had an accident in 2017. 2017, I had a car accident. Fran, I'm going to tell you this. I lost six and a half teeth. I could not speak for eight weeks. But when I couldn't speak, I had to learn, relearn how to speak. All that speech I got with my masters in fine arts from writers, all that great. I do learn again how to place my tongue on the roof of my mouth oh my to God. even pronounce a T. When I could not speak, I could create. And I call it trauma backwards is mu art. It is my ammunition for art. And that's where the designs came into play. And I started design, creating words with a logo, thinking about all the things that got to stop. And then evolved and said, I'm going to start putting this on clothing and clothing I like to wear. So we have sneakers, we have hoodies, we have bags, we have dresses, right? We have uh, sweatsuits. We have a whole line based on the different injustices that I'm tackling one by one to make an impact, to make change, sustainable, irrevocable change. So when we tackle an issue, we put a line out to raise the awareness, have the real conversations, boots on the ground, spreading the word. And then now let's go to legislation. Let's go to laws. Let's go to who's inviting me in the room. I make my own seat. You don't have to invite, I'm going to make my own scene. (laughs) I'm not doing this whole thing about waiting. We know as actors, we've been in the waiting game for a very long time. And that waiting game can be very discouraging, disparaging, humiliating. So we create our own lane, our own place for voice. Just like when they say produce your own film. Well, I'm doing my own philanthropy now. I love acting but I'm going to act in a role that means something to me. That's going to give me depth. I don't want to be known for that one little liner, right? Done a lot of background work, right? Just was in a background as, um, what is it called? And just like that, the new one, they called me, was on there for a background, got featured. People like, oh my God, I just saw you in, in this show. And I said, that's the business. That's how this works. You stay open to the universe. But it was also confirmation that I'm not done with you yet, even in that area. But again, we've got to walk the walk because so many things are going on. And I even see actors, people that are celebrities, taking on to my causes because they saw something on Instagram or just because they saw me speak somewhere and they said, I'm behind that issue. So how we come into the space has so many different pathways. So I don't discount the pathways, I can meet you at a restaurant, I can meet you in the street, in a train, at a church, at a speaking engagement, at a march, at a rally, or just at a cafe. It doesn't matter. Let's have the conversations. And so with that, that's where we lead, and that's where we make impact, and we do it the change now, not later, now. So I'm an LLC, not a non for profit Why? I wanted freedom, Fran. I want to help who I want to help. You don't tell me who to help when to help them, how much to help them. I want to write checks, okay? That I vet, I partner with people who are aligned in a way that represents my integrity as an artist, as a creative, as an activist, as an entrepreneur. So there's freedom. There's freedom. Even in working with others, you want to find freedom to do it in such a way that it's gracious, it's humble, And you're coming to people because you really care.
0: Yeah, your empathy is clear and your intention is clear and your mission is clear. I love how the fashion idea is symbolic, you know, because you got to put it on. You got to wear it right now. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. I can't wait to share some of the pictures of your your work on my blog. It's symbolic because it's not just how you are dressing yourself, you know, on the physical outside, but how that reflects what is in your heart and what is in your mind and what is in your soul. And you're like a walking activist, (laughs) you know, saying, okay, you want to make change? Join me. This is what I'm doing, and I'll tell you how. It's just remarkable. I want to get back to the, the drama curriculum that you created. How did that come up? To get the UFT, I mean, to get these these big organizations to invest in you, you know, that takes a lot. That takes a lot to do because I think there's something about women who we feel that, well, we should just do this and not get paid for it. And that's changing. It's like, I'm good at this, and you're going to pay me because I'm a professional. How did the curriculum uh, evolve to be put into D.C. schools and New York
1: City school curriculums? So, UNITAS was a company that started in Serbia, and it was international, and the work is about human trafficking. And so, the people that work on the ground are really dealing with all kinds of trafficking, labor trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, right? There's all kinds of trafficking. But it was because of the march that I did with the Black Lives Matter of Greater New York when I was the chief of staff. I did a march called Find Our Girls. And in doing that march, I was saying, what's going on with the missing black and brown children in our community? It's just not, just happening out of nowhere. And so now we get into domestic sex trafficking. And so moving in the streets of New York with that, hearing stories of people whose family members have fallen prey to that, having people lose their lives because of it at such young ages, you start to grow a pulse of change. And I wanted to get educated on it. I wanted to train on it. I wanted to know what this was. And friend, lo and behold, as I'm training on it, I realized my family was a part of it. Oh, my God. Because of what we have been conditioned to believe to be the norm. When you talk about black exploitation films, right? The flashy men, the women, the womanizing. And to come across your life and say, oh, that's what that was. We didn't call it that. Hit a name for that, but it wasn't that. And no one said anything about that because it was in your own community that you were exploiting each other, bodies, drugs. And it's not always from a poverty mindset. It's not that. It's about a money mindset. It's about this makes money. Why? Because bodies grow every day. We have a kid born every second of the day. I don't have to grow you. I don't have to import you. You are a body on the street. And that's what I sell. Bodies. And how do I sell that? Coercion. Intimidation. Fear. Threats. Violence. Survival. Mm. And so understanding that. And knowing that our children were falling prey at such early ages and getting educated, getting training, not just coming in, you know, with, oh, I just think this is a great cause, but no, let's get underneath it. Let's go to the root of it. Let me go to my trainings, meeting people, seeing that I was interested and eager to learn and to listen and to reflect on my own life and see where my family or myself has played a role in exploitation through judgment, because we can judge. Oh, that's the fast little girl. Oh, that's the slick-talking little boy. That's the problem child. Oh, her mother got a lot of problems. See, no, no, no. Let's go Let's go underneath. Got to stop that. What's happening really? How does trauma play a role generationally in our lives? So, you know, with our work with theater, we always talk about social-emotional learning and trauma-informed curriculums. And care-informed curriculums. And then having to work in schools, when I was working with um, the young adult population, 16 to 21-year-olds in New York City, I was going to 16 sites overseeing as a professional developer with social workers, caseworkers, alternative learning. It wasn't, they dropped out. They were on a fourth to fifth grade reading level. That was the criteria. And they were 16 to 24 years old. And now I'm seeing some stuff. I'm hearing some stuff. I'm working with social workers as training. I got psychologists to train them. So I'm bringing in teams that will train people and professionals in their field of study that begins where my resources come from, where my colleagues come from, that they know. I want to say, if you're a caseworker or you are, you onboard someone in a new program, you're going to interface with these types of issues, social issues. You need to know how to do this well. You need to know how to keep them coming every day to this space and creating the environment for learning to take place. So that's how I built on who's in my circle. And that circle I traveled with. So when I got invited to be a part of curriculum um, development team, I also invited Dr. Coralane Griffith-Hunt, who is a trauma psychologist and is a black woman trauma psychologist. Doing this work, I met her at where? A gala, Nan gala, National Action Network, Al Sharpton's gala. Met her one day, fell in love and said, I'm going to have you work with me. Started training with me, training staff, social work staff. And then when this opportunity came up, I said, oh, you're coming along. And then the survivor, Tony D. Rivera, I met her in a church basement learning about trafficking. When I really opened my eyes to trafficker has no gender. A trafficker can be any gender. Open my eyes to that. How people that have been trafficked become traffickers or recruiters, how it's cyclical, Hmm. how it's systemic. Yeah. Brought her along, brought her along. So now in the room, I'm sitting there with two people that I already know and work with or three people now, because I've been trained by the person that brought me in and then they bring in their spaces of cohorts. Right. And so that's how the community gets built. So we're sitting around the table Looking at survivor stories, looking at it from a social work perspective, a trauma-informed perspective, right? But also looking at it from, I would say, the political bureaucratical perspective of education. And us as cat know, when you go in talking about a social issue, the stakes are higher. Right? It's scary work. But actors are the most courageous people on the planet. Yeah. We for step sure. in the shoes we have no idea about, but we step in those shoes and we take that place for that person to say, look, we're going to tell the story. Don't worry about it. I'm going I'm to channel this moment. I'm going to channel your experience. And I am going to give them the performance of a lifetime that humanizes your story. And that's my job in the room. With an MFA, I've got to humanize the story. I've got to make it make sense. Beginning, middle, and end, and using the skills of the other colleagues, like the trauma-informed, knowing the aces, right? The adverse childhood experiences and how that affects a child and how trauma on the brain does become something real. Trauma is on the brain, right? And so now I'm going, this is how the character's developing. This is how we're getting here. So, you know, we can build a character. We can deconstruct the character. There's our script analysis work, Fran. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then we can always find the ending. Because different paths lead to different endings. So it's about the storytelling part. And so people needed to see us as storytellers. You know, there's a lot of consultants on shows. In theater, we call them dramaturgs, right? Yeah. But in the Hollywood world, it's like you're a consultant but they don't understand what skills you need to do to do that. You need real skills. It's not just the person that's lived the experience, but you've got a person there to tell the story so it makes sense.
0: Can you give me like a, an illustration of what you're talking
1: about to make it clear? So in the curriculum, there are different characters of different um, types of characters. And so we were building the understanding of, you, you know, in New York City, sometimes you see Candy crews. You know, people selling candy for a basketball team, right? And you either give the kids money or not. Well, I was the one that said, anytime a kid comes to me on the train and says, miss, can you give me a dollar, um, get some, you know, buy some peanuts, Snickers, yeah, yeah, yeah. the M&Ms for a yeah, right. dollar. I said, all right, so what position do you play? What team are you on? Who's your favorite NBA player? they can't answer that question, understand the story. Now, are they really basketball players? And who has these kids out here on these streets? Yeah. That's a form of labor trafficking. It's another form of pulling you into a trafficking world. Wow. There's a whole world that has candy crews. See, what we don't, we got to get inside of this because I'm asking other questions. So let's build the characters correctly. Let's make sure we're stacking this. Why would a kid want sneakers, the latest sneakers? And why would a kid be pulled into being a mule, as they call it, a mule, or being a part of a staple? You see, it's a lot of animal words we give them, the industrialized words, which is such demeaning. But those are the words that are given, even in that world, in that lifestyle. Do you understand? We've already dehumanized them to animals. Yeah. Yes, and so now we gotta change the language, change the narrative, humanize this child, and say, well, where's his mother? What happened? Is he in foster care is he not in foster care? Did someone miss something or was he not believed? Does he feel scared of his parents or caregivers? Does he feel like he doesn't have a voice? Takes one adult to make a difference in a child's life. One consistent adult. How do teachers react to this uh, curriculum? So far from what UNITAS is saying, the curriculum is going well because they are in New York City DOE schools. Once again, they're having conversations with social workers, different teams, training different people because you've got to train your staff on what you're bringing to the students. That's really, really an important part of the work. But in terms of how the students walk away, they walk away empowered because now they know something about when someone slides into your dm what does that mean or they give you cash app money you don't know them from a can of paint right and so to be empowered to be equipped to be aware kids love to know awareness they need to yeah. be aware they love to get tips on i don't want to get caught up in that or the sad part is i'm already caught up how do i get out and they cut co- and they come out they reveal that well Sometimes they don't, and sometimes they do. And I think what's important is the last panel I did on domestic violence, youth advocates were there, and they expressed the fact that they went to the schools, they revealed the forms of domestic violence, but then they were threatened because now ACS is called Child Protective Services. Now the parents are upset that you said something. So kids do not want to disclose if we don't have a system to support them. The systems that are made to support us are doing more harm. And we need to really look at that. How will a kid even disclose something to you if they know the fear is, one, I'm going to get in trouble at home, and I'm going to be in a foster care agency this tonight. They move these kids quickly without explanation because there's a thing called mandated reporting. And mandated reporting is real in New York State. They take it very seriously. But is there another step that a mandated reporter can do? Is there some intervention strategies on the school level if you go to the school? Why are the police or the sex crime units, which I know about this story, knocking at your door at 5 o'clock, asking you questions? Did you know? I mean, SUV, what you see in Lauderdale is real. OK, it happens in New York. They knock on that door. And so what I'm saying is kids are not going to disclose when that's the consequences of freeing themselves or or advocating for themselves. It has to be a space that we really think. Well, we have to think through it. We haven't I'm, thought through all this stuff.
0: And Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up the uh, police, you know, because they are part of this community. They as well as the teachers As the police force, we need to unite these people. We need to humanize them and their perception of these, quote unquote, kids. And you're doing that. And we've got to stop. We've got to stop. But we also have to go forward. So before we close, I want to give you the opportunity to tell me what's on the
1: horizon for got to stop. What's on the horizon right now is that people are coming to me with new ideas and new projects. Wanting to look at issues and tackle them from the beginning to the end. So when we talk about domestic violence, I'm part of a group called Sisters in Purple. We're looking at the laws now. We want to look at the laws, changing laws. We're now, I'm looking at, when I talk about criminal reform, I'm, In the DA's office, Manhattan DA's office specifically, having conversations about trauma-informed training and providing that training with my colleagues. So this is the kind of work I'm talking about. Not just talking, we're going to do it. And if we don't do it here, I can do it anywhere in the world that wants to listen. And if you want to call in,
0: get people to call in to you and your message, both your fashion and your form, and your fitness. Who can we get out there to get to be with
1: you and do the work that you're doing? You mean a person? I would I would love to join forces with. Sure. Person, groups, put it out there. Tell them. I would love the artist community to get behind this. I would love a Sagan after when they talk about diversity and inclusion. What are we really talking about? because again we are very influential what people see is what they believe we're the most influential people on the planet they said that the sag awards yeah and we don't use that influence music does it but theater and acting can do it even better yeah they're tuning in and binge watching things well what are we making them watch Let's be conscious of what we're putting in their minds. And at the end, you know, you see things that say, oh, this is going to have this kind of content. But do go further than that, than just the hope line. Some of those hope lines don't work. Try them. You will be on waiting for hope. This is what I'm saying. We've got to put our work to use to say we can revolutionize. We can change. We can heal. You need more of those voices. And not just on their philanthropic tip, you know, just to give away some money because they got a lot of money. Uh -uh -uh. Boots on the ground. I want to see these actors in these communities that are influencing people, just like they see the basketball players. They see the music industry people. Where are the actors? Wake up. I know we're on sets, but we're in sets in communities like mine in Harlem every day. And have you gone to a local school to speak? Or do you stay on set in your trailer? Let's get out those trailers. Let's get on the ground because we make a difference because the work that you do is important and you are not anybody unless they're watching you. Again, we need each other. It's not calling out. It's calling in, as you said, creating Um, a pathway. And that's a wrap girl. We're going to get
0: this out and I'm going to make sure we share the organization and its programs on my website, on my blog with you.
1: Boy, that was a lot to pack in. (laughs) Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really am passionate about that. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: out more about what Fran is up to, go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by Marsh Air Media and recorded at Weechee Studio Productions.